Happy days, right, brilliant. Here you go. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Thank you, Esther. No, I'm good. Think back to Barney. That's cool. Good morning, everybody. A little bit nervous because it's my first time preaching as part of the staff team, but we'll just get past that, won't we? And the other thing that I just need to share is that Tim and I made an offer on a house this week. And the offer was accepted. And to save me answering all the questions in the break, it's in Willsborough. It's, yeah, anybody live in Willsborough? Excellent, good, thank you. New neighbours. And we are now just trusting that um, all of the contracts and money and stuff happens as it's supposed to happen. So hopefully soon we will have a permanent address in Ashford. Yes, that's good news, isn't it? Excellent, but now let's come to the word of God. So um, I say that and I'm actually going to throw up a picture right now of the Statue of Liberty. So this is an iconic landmark. Um, you'll find it in, on Liberty Island in, the New, York, in New York Harbour. Um, when you see it, you know exactly what it is because it's so famous. You know that it's the Statue of Liberty. And uh, you, oh, I mean, it's, it represents freedom. That's what it's there for. That's what it was built for. That's what it's, it's all about. And even on her, the tablet that she's carrying in her left-hand side, it's inscribed the Roman numerals of the date of the US Declaration of Independence. It's a significant thing. You, you, you know what it is, don't you? Yeah, good. I'm glad you all know what it is. And even if you've never seen it, you've never had the privilege to go to America and see it for yourself, you, you know that this thing is huge. From base to the top of the torch, it's 305 feet, or 93 metres if you like to work in new money. Um, 305 feet, that would be 61 of me end to end to end to end that's what it would be that's how huge it is and like you just can't miss it you can see it from a long way you certainly can't hide it or 
can you? You see, in 1983, the illusionist David Copperfield made the statue disappear in front of millions of people on TV, but actually in front of more than a dozen people who were only sat 200 feet in front of the statue. Now, there's one thing doing it on TV because we can all say, even though Photoshop didn't exist back then, we can all say that was just camera tricks, it was something clever, somebody did a very nice programme, we can make it disappear on TV. But when you've got more than a dozen people sitting just 200 feet in front of the statue and he made it disappear before their eyes, that's something else. And when they were interviewed after the illusion happened, they're like, it just went. They were absolutely flabbergasted. They completely believed the illusion. And it was an illusion. So I'm sure you, like me, you want to know what happened. Basically, all he did was he built two towers in front of the statue. He lifted up a sheet that went all the way to the top of the statue and covered it. But the people, the live audience, were on a specially constructed platform. And as soon as the sheet got to the top, the anticipation started building, and he played really loud music to distract the people from the fact the platform moved just a little. But just enough that when the sheet dropped, the towers blocked their view of the statue. Clever, eh? It's clever, relatively simple, and it used lots of lights. It is relatively simple if you've got thousands of pounds and a phenomenal team. But the, the idea was clever, wasn't it? He managed to cause people to fall for this illusion. He bewitched them. And here Paul is writing to the Galatians and saying, who has deceived you? Who has bewitched you? Who has got you? I mean, not just one of you, but all of you. Have you fallen for what is being told to you? Paul is having a proper go. He's having a proper pop at the Galatians. He actually calls them foolish. I mean, if you're called foolish, can, you can imagine, if I, somebody called me foolish, I would get embarrassed. I'd feel the heat in my face. I'd be like, oh, what have I done that's really unwise? I would be embarrassed. But in this particular passage, Paul is referring to a group of Jewish people who were teaching that in order to be fully saved, in order to be absolutely, definitely sure that you should be saved, that actually, that you needed to do some of the things that the Jewish law were, you know, to make you Jewish. So circumcision would be one of those things. Like, it's not that Jesus was just enough. You needed to have Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, but also you needed to be circumcised. It was adding to what Jesus has done. Last week, Richard gave us a formula, a really good formula. I loved it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I really want you to remember that as I carry on speaking. Because these, these Jewish people were saying, no, 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 you've got to add a little bit more. When I reflect on this passage, sometimes in, when I'm being a bit kind and I'm thinking about it, I think, oh, I, maybe the Jewish people were just like so keen to get it right that they wanted to add a little bit more in. You know, they didn't want to break the, they didn't want to break the rules. They wanted, they wanted to help Jesus out a little bit. 
And, uh, and you know, like, because they come from that culture where they had the law, but in order not to break the law, they created some more laws so we didn't break those laws. And in order to make sure they didn't break those laws, they created more laws. And so they lived under this whole thing of law. Like, they had this whole thing, and they were trying desperately hard to please God. And, uh, and I, so when I'm being kind, I think, well, maybe they were just, like, culturally impacted. And I reflect on my mum sometimes as well. My mum, uh, I come from a Sikh background, and mum is, um, she's a really devout Sikh, absolutely. Uh, she uh, is always at temple, she's always serving, she, she's a priest in the Sikh temple, was a priest, sorry, she's, she's died now, um, was a priest in the Sikh temple. If you ever went to her house, she fed you, she would always give you gifts as you left, because as a Sikh, she believed that she needed to do lots of good works, lots of good things. And if she did enough good things, she may then get to heaven, whatever heaven may look like. However, nobody gave my mum a list which says, well, you need to help 50 people cross the road. And when you've done that, that's okay. And nobody told my mum, oh, when you fed 400 people, that's enough. There was no final list. She didn't know how much she had to do. So she was on that constant sort of treadmill of always trying to be helpful. She was a nice mum, though, obviously, and she was, she, was, she was like that. But actually, when, I sort of, when I'm being kind and I think about these Jewish people, I wonder, oh, I wonder if they're just adding stuff to, to that because they didn't want to like, they wanted to be more holy. But I've already said that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We don't need to add anything to it. Of course, the sort of interpretation of this passage, the normal interpretation of this passage, is um, that Paul is beginning to speak into something that's something of nationalism. He's beginning to speak to the Jewish people that have come to know Jesus and say, who are regarding themselves as something a little bit better, a little bit elite by nature of how they were born or where they were born and the families they were born into. And actually next week when we look at the passage, um, we begin to see that, that Paul looks at racism and uh, all, all that that is. So that's what the interpretation of this passage is. But Jesus plus nothing is everything. In this passage, Paul is actually spewing out a bunch of rhetorical questions, isn't he? He's saying, he asks, how did you receive the spirit? Knowing that the answer is obvious. It wasn't through anything that they had done, but it was the moment that they heard and believed. And the same is true of us. I hope right now, as I've said that, that you are thinking about maybe the moment that you heard and believed. You see, for me, I can pinpoint a moment. I can pinpoint a moment. It was August the 12th, 1983 on Wimbledon Common. Now, because I've said 1983, you're all desperately trying to work out how far ago that was. That's 38 and a half years ago, just so that you can carry on thinking to, or thinking about what I'm actually thinking about, trying to say. And, uh, and clearly, I became a Christian aged minus 10. <laughs> can we just agree with that one? Excellent. And, um, but I can pinpoint that moment. I can pinpoint that, that point where I knew that Jesus was real, that he wasn't a... Just checking there's no children in the room. There are a couple. He wasn't a Father Christmas story or a fairy story, um, but he was, he was a real person. And I can pinpoint going from, uh, I didn't know it was black and white, but it felt like I was moving from black and white into color. 
But unlike Tim, Tim, who I'm married to, those of you that don't know, he, um, he grew up in a Christian family. And he probably responded to Jesus most weeks when he was a child in Sunday school, you know, always the one putting his hand up. But it probably wasn't until his late teens that actually Jesus became real for him. But he can't pinpoint a moment. But both are valid and both are a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that makes Jesus alive. It's him who magnifies Jesus. It's, it's the Holy Spirit at work. That moment that you came to faith. Now, that's the moment that you got the Holy Spirit and you got it all in its fullness. And I was trying to work out how I could explain this. Now, I'm going to strike a match. And I'm really hoping that the fire alarm is not going to go off. <laughs> If it goes off, I don't think it will, but if it goes off, that is the exit over there. And we'll file out carefully and, and sensibly. But I was trying to work out how to explain that the whole of the Holy Spirit. So you didn't just get Jesus when you got saved. You got Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. And this is the best way I could describe it. See, when I light that match, we get a flame. But at exactly at the same time we get the flame, we get heat and we get light. You don't get a little bit of heat and you don't get a little bit of light. You get all the heat and all the light that comes with the flame. So I'll, burn, I'll blow that out before I'm, I burn my fingers. Um, when you got saved in that moment, all of the Holy Spirit, all of his gifts, all of his attributes, all of his abilities to help you glorify Jesus was given to you in that moment. But in your walk, day in, day out, you're working it out. We're all working it out. So my first question to you this, this morning is, is a little bit rhetorical. Have you encountered the infilling of the Holy Spirit? Because the answer is yes. If you know Jesus, then you have. If you have ever come to that point of saying Jesus is Lord... That can only be done by a work of the Holy Spirit. And if you have never done that, then can I suggest that March the 13th, 2022, is a great day to say yes to Jesus for the first time. And I'd love to speak to you afterwards, come and say, you know, Jazz, that's what I want. I want to know Jesus. I'd gladly come and pray with you. But my bigger question is this. Are you being filled by the Holy Spirit? Earlier on, Barney brought a, a passage of scripture uh, that Danny had shared, and he, he um, the Revelation 3.20 and the John 14.14, was it? Sorry? 14.23, about being filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, I've loved the encounter evenings that we've had. We've had two, haven't we, earlier this year, and we've got more planned. But we can't live encounter evening to encounter evening and we can't even live Sunday to Sunday, although, you know, that's not bad that we turn up to church on a Sunday morning. But actually, being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that we do. It's a practice. It's a habit. It's a discipline. We spend time in the presence of our Father asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's one of the best prayers you can pray. But when you're asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, can I encourage you not to rush away? 
Can I encourage you to stay in the presence of God and really enjoy him? Really receive? And maybe there may be a manifestation, maybe not. But maybe there's just that deep sense of knowing that you are loved by the creator of the universe. And the thing is, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can give out. You can be generous with who you are, with your gifts, with your talents, with your resources. When you're empty, when your tank is dry, it's harder to give. Let us not be people that are accused of, you know, being grumpy and miserable and not being able to be generous. Let's be people that give out of the overflow of what the Holy Spirit gives us. You need to nod a little bit more with me there. Thank you. Some of you are with me. Thank you very much. And then the other thing is that I just want to highlight, we can't earn this. We can't add to what Jesus has already done. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We can't, you know, it's not like, and and the thing is that, even as Christians, we kind of try and do it. You know, I've got this shiny new Bible. I must be more holy. Or um, I'm, I'm serving on five teams. I'm super holy. Oh, I've not missed church for like 14 weeks. I've arrived. But actually, you and I know that I'm talking nonsense there. But, I, but little things just creep into our mind. You know, we try and add to what Jesus has done. What Jesus did on the cross was absolutely everything that we needed. It is. He saved us. He's redeemed us. And we need to remind ourselves of that often and tell one another often. Tell your story often. Uh, When you speak out what Jesus has done, it is exciting. There is nothing, Jesus gave his life freely for us and there's nothing that we can do that can make us love him more and make us love him less. We are loved with a perfect, tangible, real love. He's removed our shame, he's dealt with our fear, and he's lifted our heads. And we work this out daily. Jesus is the beginning, the end, and everything in between. Jesus plus nothing is our everything. And I've purposely, deliberately left time so that we can actually respond, because there's no point me talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit and then not giving opportunity for that to happen. So I don't know if anybody in the band is willing to play some keys for me or something in the background. That would be great. And and it's up to you. I'm going to pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. And um, And it's just a real luxury to be able to stand together, to be able to encounter Jesus, to know that his presence is here. So I'm going to invite, you can stay sitting, you can stand, you can put your hands out, whatever you feel comfortable with. You're all grown-ups, you know how to do this. But let us spend time in the presence of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. ask you now, Holy Spirit, just to fill us afresh. Father, that we would know that we are absolutely saturated with you.
just as you stand in the presence of God, and as you deliberately give Jesus your attention, just allow the weight of the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Allow him to go deep. You need to do some business with God, go for it. Bring to mind scripture that, that you live with. Let those words run around your head. You might feel something in your body, you might not. But take God at his word. When you ask for more of the Holy Spirit, he gives it to you unreservedly. Become Holy Spirit. More of you.